Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money Investing Show. This week we are tackling the subject of small business strain. This isn't just looking through the lens as a business owner, it's also looking through the lens as an employee to make sure that your future is safe. You're looking for the right warning signs if the business is struggling or if the business is doing well, making sure you get your fair share. Plenty to take out of this and we'll look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Pleasure as always. Uh, now, we're going to talk about strain, and it's not the strain that we go through day-to-day trading markets, as big of a strain that is. It's actually quite, the, quite rather sad in actual fact. It's the strain on small businesses that we're seeing in the current economic climate, both in the US and, and here in mm-hmm. Australia. Scary stats as well that we're going to run through. Indeed it is. Uh, call it small business strain. It is a very valid and very real um, undercurrent in the economy, both here and across in, in the US right now. And you know, for a lot of people, when you consider small business, you know, it's a, you know, it's a fruit and veg shop or the sandwich bar around the corner. In actual fact, in Australia, 98% um, of companies in Australia employ 20 or less people. They're small or medium-sized enterprises. I think the stat in the US, I think something like 37% of companies employ over 50% of the country's workforce. Wow. So, you know, small business is a huge, uh, huge part of the engine room for the economy, uh, and it's the lifeblood of the economy too. Uh, and yeah, there are some really dark uh, numbers starting to emerge in the US which we'll talk about and the impact that they have for us here in Australia. And we'll try and look at this, I think, today. We might do this a little bit differently and look through this uh, through the lenses both as an employer or small business owner and also as an employee within a small business because um, the knock-on effects of both affect each other. It's a sort of symbiotic relationship, I suppose. So I'm sure we'll, we'll dive deep. What do you got for me? Well, let's start off with the employer, um, given that's your your bread and butter mm. as our employer. So what are some of the issues that you see, maybe three, if we had to pick them out, that that, that, that they're facing? Yeah, look, I mean, dealing with the cost of living uh, and rising costs in general, this has been an absolute um, bell ringer for many. So if you take rent, for example, you know, rent on average over the last six months has jumped by about 10% in the US from a commercial perspective. And you think, okay, well, it's a fixed cost of running your business. You have to have a premises to operate out of. You know, not all businesses are online where you can operate it out of, you know, a virtual office somewhere. Um, and that 10% jump in rent has to come from somewhere. And rent typically for, for many businesses is the, probably after their wages, their second biggest cost that they've got to got to accommodate. You think if you're in a restaurant game and so on and so forth. And, and I guess the the stat that sprung to mind um, looking uh, through uh, some of the feeds that I follow uh, is the number of businesses that were unable to meet their rent payment this month uh, in the US. And it was, it was over 30% of businesses were unable to uh, to make their rent payment. That's really scary. Yeah. Really scary. Yeah. And you, you then look at the knock-on effect of that on the landlord. Um, that obviously then affects the yield on their property, which then goes toward revaluing because commercial property is based on yield. Um, you know, if, if there's no rent coming in, you've got two choices. You can flick the tenant and replace them with somebody new that you don't know that may well face the same challenge. Um, or if you've got a, a tenant in play that's struggling is to come to a deal with them to try and work something through if it's a short-term problem. But either way, it does definitely impact on the valuation of the property, which then impacts on the loan against that property, which yeah, has more severe ramifications down the line. So that inability to pay rent is huge. Interestingly enough, um, since the rate hikes have started in the US, I think something like 27% of real estate agents have been unable to pay their rent too. I know they're probably not the most loved people on the planet at the best of times, but nonetheless, that's a very good uh, indication of just how severe that slowdown uh, in, in the US has been on the back of some fairly fairly aggressive moves up in interest rates by 
by the US Federal Reserve. Makes total sense. When your cost of borrowing is higher, it, it makes it very challenging. The money has to come from somewhere. That's the, 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 you know, the reality of it. So you know, rent is a huge, huge component and the knock-on effects from rent either not being paid and, and hitting landlords as well as the, uh, as well as the business that's in there are, are substantial. What about wages? That's a big one. Yeah, look, I mean, very topical for us here in Australia at the moment as Labor have been sort of messing around with the industrial relations laws and, and you know, it, it's it's a really hard hat to wear as an employer uh, when someone's talking about collective bargaining because, you know, our team here, whilst in some instances might be in a in a, in a broad category of what they do, be it stockbroking or admin or, or, or financial planning or whatever it may be. So generically they're in that group and therefore their wages should be determined by what the average is for that group. Um, but we've got a unique set of skills that we have in our operation and we want to reward our people in a slightly different way, uh, invariably substantially more than what they would get uh, under a, a bargain uh, agreement type scenario. So as a business, we want to reward good talent by being able to pay it what's in our mind commercial, that's a win-win-win, great service for the clients, a great income for our team that put their heart and soul into what they do, and, and a great value add for us as a business. That's how win-win-wins work. Um, yet, you know, we're going to get to the point where we're told what we have to pay people. And I don't necessarily think somebody in Canberra that's never run a business and has been a career politician is any position uh, to, to say what companies should be paying out in terms of wages. Now, the flip side of that, looking at that from an employee's perspective, because ultimately, you know, there are always two sides to that argument. If you're working in a, a business where maybe you haven't had a pay rise and you're seeing this cost of living move further and further away from you, it becomes very challenging because it's your quality of life, your your, your standard of living effectively, which is is being impacted negatively. Yeah, you've got rent increases perhaps at home or a higher mortgage to service or more expensive fuel to put in your car or more expensive groceries in your shopping cart. So you need more wages to come on the back of that. So employees are obviously asking for more money and it's a tight labor market. So employers are kind of having to come to the party if they want to retain talent. Again, I go back to that negotiation. It shouldn't be something that's government driven, it should be commercial and in, in, in the market that you, you can come up with those those rates. Um, and in doing that, if you're in a business whereby, let's say you haven't necessarily passed on your cost input increases to the customer, you know, you've tried to preserve a price within the marketplace for what you do to be competitive, to offer good value, whatever it may be, yet your rent has increased, your wages have increased, uh, both of which by at least CPI and probably more. Um, and probably the raw materials, if you're in a manufacturing type business, have also increased in cost, but you haven't passed that on. That really starts to drain the free cash flow within a business. And there's only a, sh a fairly short, finite shelf life that that has before you have to either pass on the cost or start cost cutting within the business in order to, as the business owner, still make a profit margin. And again, this is a really tough conversation because a lot of people that are employees see businesses, although the big bad people that make all the cash, but oftentimes, and I'm not being a bleeding heart about this, but this is a time where your profit margin or margin in general can be you know, really heavily compressed or even be negative where you're actually you know, subsidizing what goes on. And if you, if you think about, say, the construction industry, we've seen lots and lots of companies fall over uh, because they've just been unable to handle the, the, the crush in margins that they make and they go out of business. That doesn't help anybody because the person's without a job, the tax office hasn't been paid, there's usually a big backlog of what's owing there, um, the end user hasn't had their house built, the suppliers haven't been paid. So that there's a, a, a spread of pain everywhere. You know, if there's director's loans and you're guaranteeing 
as collateral, you're on the hook for it, all, all of those different things um, that can go horribly wrong. So to have a strong economy, you have to have um, profitable and strong, not gouging, but profitable and strong small enterprises that are able to employ people. And all of that, listening to that AB, there's some, some great points in there and some scary stats, as I say, mm. is the fact that incomes are down, consumer spending is pulled back naturally in the current environment. What kind of effect has that had on businesses, would you say? Yeah, I, I think it's a really marked one. I, I, I was um, chatting with the Aramex, the, the parcel delivery guy, uh, the other day at our place. And uh, I said, and that's a really good sort of bellwether person to have a conversation with because, you know, particularly through the pandemic, we saw so much stuff being ordered online and delivered. You know, I live in, on my farm down in Byron. So, you know, we, we have that service. They come out and deliver, which is very nice. Um, and uh, he said business has been really slow. It's starting to get a bit of a ramp up because everyone's ordering their Christmas grog from Dan Murphy's or wherever it may be. Um, but in general, he said things have slowed down you know, quite measurably. And Aramex is a really interesting business because it's all franchises, owner-used uh, owner, um, franchises. So they've got skin in the game. The people that are delivering the truck own their, their route, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and they're in a situation where you know, things are tough because he's got to drive his van around a, a fairly considered area that's costing him a lot more to fill up. He's costing him probably about 12 to 13% more to employ people right now than it did this time last year. And his business volume is down. It's funny you say that. FedEx, a week or so ago, actually come out with their earnings and their guidance. And FedEx, obviously, in the same situation, parcel or, delivery. Or on scale, but yeah, exactly the same. Uh, when you see such a, a big company that has input costs from such a wide variety of different areas of the economy, and they come out with quite weak guidance stating that things are getting pretty tough. Mm. It, it kind of rings a, a bit of an alarm bell through the economy. Look, I, I think it has to. And again, it's so easy to be, oh, they, they make plenty of money, they can afford it. But that's not really true. The businesses have got a level of reserve that you can go through. And you think about employers and unknown employers that have sacrificed their own pay for a period of time to ensure the team were remunerated. And you know, if you look at other businesses that perhaps have been sabotaged isn't the right word, but really negatively impacted through the pandemic. Um, yeah, let's say you're in a, a, a body shop for repairing cars. So your ability to source components, for example, to be able to fix cars has been almost non-existent. So all of a sudden the cash register is virtually closed because you haven't got the parts to fix the car to give the invoice to the customer, yet you've still got rent to pay which has probably got a, a personal guarantee by you, the director, if you're a small business, um, and you've still got employee entitlements to pay, superannuation, for example, which even you know during the lockdown when people were receiving JobKeeper, um, the employer was still liable to have to pay the superannuation contribution, which by the way has also gone up 10.5%, which is something further you've got to find um, out of your margin to pay that additional contribution to super. Uh, and those sorts of business are really tough. If you're a travel agent uh, and no one's able to travel, you've had the guts cut out of your business, but same thing, if you've got premises, you've still got rent to pay, you've still got to pay super for your employees, even if they were getting JobKeeper. So it's been a really, really tough time. But you know, we've talked so far down the sort of lane of being the business owner, but I think it's really important to acknowledge from the employee's perspective um, some signs to look out for as well. And, uh, and I got hit up uh, on our on our um, Facebook feed over the weekend. Someone was talking about an employer that hadn't paid their superannuation. I remember seeing that, it was mm. sad. It is, and, 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 and so a couple of things to look out for from an employee perspective to ensure that the, the health of your business isn't, yeah, we're good, we're okay, we're in good shape. You, you, it's your money, you have to keep a responsibility. This is a money investing show, so these are things we've got to talk about. Is to make sure that your employer 
is up to date with your superannuation contributions. Now that might only seem a very small thing and oh no, it's coming or there was an admin stuff up or yeah, we're paying it next quarter or the bookkeeping team are running behind or the accounts, all the excuses Get in the, the world. Super. Ultimately, it is your money that you are entitled to that has yet to be paid into your nominated superannuation account. And I would suggest, and I've got a, a good buddy that works in insolvency, the two things to, to always look for, um, and, and going back to being the business owner for a moment, the two things that are just an absolute must that you've got to keep on top of, one are superannuation contributions, and two is GST. Uh, and they're the two things particularly the ATO will look for. If you're behind with your GST, for example, you know, they'll be pretty, pretty, pretty quickly onto it. Whereas if it's your income tax return, there, there are ways that you can drag that out. Most accountants have got you know, mechanisms by which they're able to do that, you know, payment plans and extending it, all that sort of stuff. But GST is one they're red hot on because they work on the basis that you've received the money, so you've got to pay it. Simple as that, and it's it, it's it, it's on a it's 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 done. You got to pay it, and if you're not in a position to pay it, then maybe you're insolvent, which is you know that's a pretty 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 hefty breach of the Corporations Act. It's quite a serious thing not to to be. Going back to the employee's perspective, your super needs to be paid. If your employer is not paying your super, you got to hit them up and say, hey, you've not paid my super. You've got seven days to put it in. Otherwise, um, I'm going to have to report you. Which is that's a hard conversation to have. Hmm. I mean, how do you go to an employer and say that without you know, expecting a, a pushback? Well, you will get a pushback and you'll probably get a barrage of excuses if it hasn't been paid in. Remember, it's your money. And let's say, you know, let's say you're someone that's earning 70 grand, 60 grand a year. So that's 15 grand a quarter. You're super on that's 1,500 bucks a quarter going in. That's your $1,500. If somebody owed you 1,500 bucks. You'd be going after it. You'd probably want to have it. Totally. And so, you know, that's the, the level of, uh, of transparency you need to have. And then at least your employer knows you're not going to mess around. Maybe not everyone gets paid their super, but that's down to them. This is about your personal journey into the financial space. So watch that very, very, very carefully for, for sure. As an employee, if your super hasn't been paid, get onto it straight away. It, absolutely. And it's your future and your retirement ultimately too. And, and you've already earned it. You've earned the money and it's the compulsory contribution that needs to go in. So can't stress that enough. And the number of people um, that I've seen you know, disadvantaged by employers not doing that and they go under and yeah, that's the end of your retirement because they couldn't be bothered or they were stripping assets out of the business and that included your super contributions. It's theft ultimately and that's something you've got to deal with. Totally. Anything else from an employee's perspective that you'd be looking at, AB? It's very difficult, um, I think. You know, everyone wants to earn more. Let's face it, especially when you know the cost of living is is moving away. I, I go back to that initial discussion around the industrial relations law and and collective bargaining, and which is a huge step back. You don't need collective bargaining. You have got the Fair Work Act. You don't need collective bargaining and union involvement. Um, is is when you do ask for a pay rise, you've got to be realistic. If things are tough within the business, if your order flow, if you you know you work in a, a, a business and he, like we talked about Aramex earlier, let's say you can see that the order flow has slowed down and and no one is as busy, it's pretty hard to go in and say, look, I need a twenty percent pay rise. You know, CPIs, you know, whatever it might be at the time this broadcast goes out, and 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 the pay rise that's in line with inflation is, is at at best, I think, what people can expect in this current environment. Um, unless you're delivering more. And we've talked about this previously, how to ask your boss for a pay rise. I remember that podcast. Good advice too, by the way. I think so. <laughs> how did it work for you? Positive. Good. Um, damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, the key thing, the key thing with that is that 
you know, if you if, if you're able to demonstrate or deliver more value, then you can justify earning more, not just CPI, but more. Um, you know, if you've taken on more responsibility, more work, and so on, then that's that's where that conversation can really open up. But I do think it's important not to be exploitative on either side of that equation as an employer browbeating your employees to accept X and as an employee trying to sort of bend your boss over a barrel uh, knowing that, that you know it's hard to get staff right now and using that as a stick to smash them because you know it, it's, 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 a, it's a soft thing to say but when you have employees of uh, varying numbers and we've had a large number of employees we've had a small number and we've got what I think is probably our optimal sort of level right now they're not just people that you pay week in, week out, and they're a disposable commodity when they go. Don't worry, we'll get someone else. It's beyond that. It's not a commercial relationship. There's a depth of relationship that's there. There's also, yeah, without being too cynical, the time that goes into training somebody up. So the best thing you can do is retain the people you have. So having that open relationship or, or conversation with people that say, look, you can see how tough it's been here. I'd like to pay you more. I'd like to pay myself more. Um, but things are, are, are really dragging right now. Can we revisit this conversation in three months' time if we're if our sales have improved or if this has happened? And I'm more than happy to accommodate this. But right now, and I'm not saying no to you, but if I say yes to you, it's going to have a really detrimental impact on our cash flow, and it may be that we can't even survive. Which so then ruins the entire thing. Then no one has a job. Gotcha. And that's not to push the responsibility of running an inefficient business onto employees. That's something that's to be really minded of. But I think that open kind of conversation, we are in this together. That's how I view our team. I don't look at them as employees in any case. I think, you know, I look at us as a team and it's a really different set of lenses to look through. And as a team, we can get through anything. But if if if, if, if it's not functioning as a team, if it's a group of individuals that have got self-interest at the forefront of what they are looking to achieve, it doesn't work. And I think yeah, we do a pretty good job as a business when we hire to screen that kind of thing out where we want people that are team focused and focused on a collective goal as a business. So if you can have that, translate that into a, a conversation and say, look, it, it's not, now is not the time because I don't want to talk about it. It's just plumbing hard right now. And, and here's where we're at and be open and transparent. If you've got team members or employees, if you prefer to call them that in your business and they're the right people, they'll recognize that. And you come back and talk about it in 90 days or six months time. And we go, go, we got through that together, guys. Here's a bonus. Yeah. And most good bosses will do that. Totally. Yep. Rising tide lifts all ships. And if you can weather the storm together, then everyone deserves the benefits, right? That's right. And I, I think, you know, as we as we see interest rates continue to move higher uh, and the likely continued slowdown in the consumer sector in particular, and, and that has a disproportionate effect in the US. I mean, yeah, over 60% of economic activity in the US is based around consumer. So a slower consumer is a really material thing over there, as it is here, but just even more so over there. This... This scenario of getting behind with the rent from a, 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 a business perspective or lower pay negotiations are going to become a reality as a lot more companies face um, the specter of being able to go out of business because they just can't make ends meet in the current climate. It's just too many variables pulling in the wrong direction at the wrong time uh, for them to, to be able to survive. And if their margins are thin, there's, there's nothing left in there. Um, you've got fatter margins, you can write it out for a period of time. And I think it's never been more important than the employer and the employee or business owner and team members are on the same page and say, look, guys, we're all in this together. Let's, let's proactively work on what we can do to maybe cut some costs, something the government should look at doing. Um, rather than just trying to raise more revenue or, or how can we be more efficient? What more can we do? How can we improve our bottom line so we've got this ability to to give you that? And I think more than anything, that's probably why commission structures within a business rather than a fixed wage tend to work a little, and I, and I appreciate they're not practical for all types of business, but 
what it does do is align everyone's needs to say, if I do a better job of creating more value for the business and better servicing our clients, we generate more revenue and there's more in it for me. That's gotcha. a win-win-win. That's why I love you know, commission-related um, business structures because everyone's pulling in the same direction. So question for you, AB, as we cap off today's broadcast, from an investment perspective, mm. being our bread and butter, the money and investing show, mm. whether you're a business, an employee or both, is there anything you could be looking at doing right now? From an individual perspective, watch your super. And I know it's been going down. Most people have been absolutely hosed with the performance of their industry super. So maybe you're better off without your employer putting money in. Um, <laughs> but you know, taking that cynical view out of it for a moment, making sure that your your money is going in. It is your money. They're not doing you a favor. Your employer is not doing you a favor by putting it in. It's a legal responsibility. It is your money. So uh, that on that level, from an investment perspective, make sure the cash is going in the till for you. On the other side of the coin, as a business owner, yeah, definitely tighten the belt. Look at cutting anything excessive so that your business can continue to um, you know, remain you know, positive cash flow wise, solvent, have a decent margin. From an investor's perspective, finding those companies that are either number one, able to pass costs on very easily. Toll roads, a very good example of that. Inflation goes up, you jack up your toll. Telecommunications and utilities, very, very easy to push it on. Other companies, it's much, much harder if you're in a more competitive space to be able to pass costs on. You've kind of got to wear it so that we look for efficiencies. And I think, you know, the tech sector in particular in the US has been an example where there's been a great deal of grandiose spending over the last sort of eight, nine years, rather like the tech bubble. And I think we talked about this in a, in a, in a previous podcast. Um, you know, there's been a huge amount of spending and that spending is now being cut back. And, and you look at some of the job losses being um, kicked through in the tech sector in particular, um, that's a sign of belt tightening on the part of those companies. And I think that's good quality corporate responsibility because if we're talking about not small enterprise now and small business, but big listed stuff, as a director of a listed company, your responsibility is to the shareholders. You've got a fiduciary duty to the shareholders. And so if it involves cutting costs to maintain the solvency or the future of the business, that's the nasty pill that you have to swallow. And it's not pleasant sending around the email as some CEOs do to say, you're not welcome anymore. Thanks for your efforts. Ciao. Um, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But looking at companies that are prepared to embrace cost cutting, and let workforce go and really continue to drive the business forward um, is a sign of good investment. And much as I'm not a huge fan of uh, of Alan Joyce, some of the work that they did you know, post-GFC uh, in particular in terms of restructuring labor agreements within the airline industry. Um, and if you work in the airline industry, you're going to hate me for saying it, but Alan Joyce's responsibility is fiduciary duties to the investors. That cost cutting within the business was 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 very very good for Qantas's share price. If you're just looking at it through those lenses, um, if we look at the ramifications on the other side of that, now too much cost cutting can sometimes result in significantly deteriorated service, and that's what we're seeing with the likes of Qantas at the moment, with baggage going missing and delays and flights being cancelled and, and not being able to get a hold of a person when you try and, um, you know, you, you've got a problem, you go through the help desk. So there's the flip side of it. And I guess they'll wear some of that in terms of backlash from both customers and investors. So it's getting that balance right, which is very, very difficult. And when you're managing, you know, not small businesses, but big businesses, those, those challenges are exponentially difficult to fix. I guess that's why they get paid the big bucks and the even bigger bonuses, which uh, caused the uh, uh, of uh, a number of the shareholders at last week's shareholder meeting for Qantas too, and rightly so, I think. Indeed, indeed. AB, a number of challenges out there, but great analysis and some real issues posing our economy right now. So thanks very much for your insight today. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating to help more people get access to this show, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.